Welcome to Football with Grant Wall. Thanks so much for joining me and happy new year to everyone. If you haven't checked it out yet, I encourage you to listen to my new podcast series, American Prodigy, The Freddie Adu Story. Six episodes are out. There is just one more main episode dropping this Tuesday, January 5th, and then you'll be able to binge it to your heart's content. Today's interview guests are the three women who make up Soccer Girl Problems, who have become a digital force in the women's soccer community and have their own interview podcast that you should check out. We've had some great guests on our podcast lately, including Leonid Slutsky, Beck Smith, and Ted Lasso's Jason Sudeikis and Brendan Hunt. It would be huge for this podcast growth if you could subscribe, recommend us to your friends, and take just a little time to rate and review us in Apple Podcasts. We'll have Soccer Girl Problems on soon here, but let's start with some talk about the soccer weekend with my friend Chris Whittingham of the Chelsea Miked Up podcast. Chris, thanks for joining me. Happy New Year. You just saying the name Leonid Slutsky made me happy again. Like he is, that. what a delightful interview that was. What a great booking. What a great interview. Go and listen to, if you haven't listened to that yet, go listen to it now. It is so much fun to talk to that guy. Yeah, like one of the more fun interviews we've had. We've had a lot of them, but it all started with, I didn't mention this uh, on the show. It all started with my tweet once his video came out. And I said, maybe we'll have to get Leonid Slutsky on the podcast. <laughs> So the Ruben Kazan English language Twitter sends me a DM within like 20 minutes and says, do you want him? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, sure. why not? Bring him in from Russia. That would be cool. And wasn't expecting just such a, a festive, fun uh, conversation there. But uh, one of the all-time characters, I'm glad we had him on when we did. Just also a good way to finish up 2020. I'm excited about 2021. And because the soccer world never stops, there's always a lot to talk about. So let's talk about England because there's a lot of games this weekend. It's been a couple of weeks since you and I talked on the podcast here. And at that point, we were asking the question, is Liverpool going to pull away in the Premier League? And now here they are. They're even with Man United on points at the top. They are not pulling away. Is that more to do with Man United lately or Liverpool? I would say Manchester United. I think for as much as I think we are ready to do, Manchester United should fire Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, we should give them credit when Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has clearly gotten a tune out of them. Now, I'm not certain if I believe it in the long term, but I think we have to give credit where it's due. They're second in the league. They've got a game in hand. And they were kind of, you know, them and Arsenal, oddly enough, because we also did Arsenal Club in Crisis last time out. They're the only clubs that were consistent over the festive period. And Manchester United now... And, and it's funny because this, for me, is always looming, right? Because they have so many attacking threats, Bruno Fernandes, Martial, Rashford was brilliant over the holiday period on top of, you know, curing world hunger. Like, he's playing incredibly well. They were getting a tune out of Scott McTominay, who was great in the game against Leeds. They have always had, for me, enough in the squad. It's not about the players. It's about can Ole Gunnar Solskjaer get it right? And in recent times, he has. I think it's really hitting me fully right now how much different this season is than the last few seasons in terms of there are certainly a lot of imperfect teams and there's going to be a lot of points dropped even by the teams that win the league and or right at the top of the league at the end. And so... I think that's something for everyone to sort of keep in mind when a team in the top six, I don't know, loses two out of three, loses even three in a row, that that doesn't mean they're out of it. And in fact, they could be right back in it in a matter of weeks. Or if you're Chelsea, it looked like a month ago that they were going to be just in really good position and now they're struggling. So for that reason, I don't want to write Chelsea off. But you look at what Man United's doing and for all the sort of sideshow, you know, just a couple of weeks ago, Pogba was like, you know, right before uh, their their elimination game from uh, from Champions League, talking about leaving again. And, and there, there just seems to be a good run happening right now. I love Bruno Fernandes, by the way. I, yeah. I think that guy has been just a remarkable addition to that team. And he really seems like the linchpin to me. Of, of what United does well in the field. 
And it's kind of the argument against waiting on transfers, right? And and I know that not every player is the same, but Bruno Fernandes, from the moment he jumped in the league, I remember, I mean, how long did Manchester United haggle over that price? And by the end, it was like, well, is this even worth it for Bruno Fernandes? And then he comes in, and from the moment he set foot, I don't think United lost a game prior to the stopping of the season with Bruno Fernandes in the side. His numbers are ridiculous. And so I just think in the middle of all that, he is pulling the strings in, in a classic number 10 way, but he's still doing all that work. You don't feel like he's a Mesut Ozil where he doesn't do that off-the-ball work. He is doing that work on top of it. So I think he's been a tremendous addition, probably one of the best signings from outside the Premier League in a long time. Um, but I guess when you're talking about that level of inconsistency... I do think that now it's important, we should always have this, right? But have a vision, have a conviction about something that's not based on form, but something that's bigger. So when you when when your original question was, is this more about Liverpool or, or, or Manchester United? That's why I'm still maintaining a belief in Liverpool, because I still think even with a couple of drop results against West Brom and Newcastle, those games are very much the same, right? Two super defensive teams, the classically defensive managers of the last 20 years of the Premier League, executing their game plans to perfection. I still think Liverpool... Against the other big six teams, you know, we as a week in, week out, consistent performer, I still believe in them as the best team. I do too. And we're starting to get a sense maybe that Virgil van Dyke might come back a little sooner than expected. And they've done pretty darn well without him. You know, he seemed like this indispensable player and he has not been indispensable. They're a better team with him. But if he does get back sooner than expected then I, I still feel pretty good about Liverpool, despite a couple of these drop point situations recently. Jurgen Klopp still has that kind of look on his face of like the smiling anger dude, like when, <laughs> when they when they drop points recently. And you're just like, deep down, I don't think he's worried, but yeah. I think, it, I, I, think it's, I think he thinks this is weird, right? Like what is, like what's happening right now? <laughs> yeah, um, but I, I, I am with you on that. I, I don't think Liverpool's in any huge danger here. But I would say, and maybe this is a way of getting into talk about Man City winning 3-0 at Chelsea on Sunday, Man City suddenly looks like a Pep Guardiola team again, as opposed to the sort of weirdly pragmatic, not that much fun to watch City that we saw for a while. Yeah, I, th- this performance is unlike anything that we've seen from them, in my opinion, this season. I mean, they've had a couple of decent runouts in the Champions League, albeit they were in a fairly weak group. But this is the first time where you watch a Pep Guardiola side, and it's funny because it's almost like they needed to be challenged into being that way, right? Because early in earlier in the year, Leeds pressed them, and they didn't create enough, in my opinion, in order to you know get get a result off them. That game finished one one, um, and then. In this game, Chelsea, for the first 15 minutes, I thought pressed them off the park. They're looking competent with the ball at their feet. And Golo Kante is picking Rodrigo off 30 yards from goal, and and I felt like it was going to be a long day for Manchester City. And then all of a sudden, it clicks, and in five minutes, they scored two goals. They add another. Kevin De Bruyne wasted a clear chance for another, and Raheem Sterling somehow almost uh, missed that chance where he's got 60 yards in front of him after a free kick. But... City all of a sudden are creating chances for fun. That's not the team that I've seen most of the year. And again, on the vision point, I do want to maintain my 10,000 feet and not really think that this is indicative unless we see City go on a run. Because what we're used to seeing from City is they beat teams 4, 5, 6 nil. Like, the you know, going to the Etihad was the worst responsibility in the world. It's no longer that anymore. So I do want to see a Manchester City that does this consistently as opposed to this one-off. I'm, I'm not buying them necessarily as all of a sudden they're in. The, they're a good team. They've got great players. They always have a chance. But for, for me to feel like they're genuine title contenders, I need to see more than just this one performance. I have now seen three occasions in the past seven months that were very similar to me in the sense of set piece at one end and then a complete breakaway with a utter lack of any defensive <laughs> awareness whatsoever. So any, anytime Raheem, we can talk about San Jose, Vancouver, I'm here for so it. So <laughs> San Jose, Vancouver in the MLS bubble, very similar to Man United, Basaksa uh, here in yes. Champions League. Very similar to this Raheem Sterling breakaway run from the entire Chelsea defense. I mean, you see it sometimes when you know, it's the 94th minute and they sent everyone <laughs> forward. But this was after 35 minutes. 
How is that so one bad. player back? I don't understand how Raheem Sterling was A, that open, and B, almost didn't score. Actually, well, he didn't score. He needed a follow-up from De Bruyne. I mean, how many... I've Raheem Sterling was a really frustrating player to me because he misses so many chances. Yes, he scores a bunch, but a natural goal scorer would put that away with ease. <laughs> like, and he just runs in circles and w- allows eight defenders to come back and then clangs it off the post and De Bruyne has to follow up. I thought that was really poor from Sterling, but they scored anyway. <laughs> and then the, the Gundogan goal is fantastic. Oh, just like that guy, he's, he's, not, he's not a striker, and yet... He has a poise in the box, and he has scored some goals like that where everything seems to slow down for him, and he he can just make defenses look really bad that way. That was one of my favorite goals in a long time today. Yeah, that first touch, uh, to, to th- again, that's a striker's instinct. Not just a touch, but like a little flick to get it around Thiago Silva and bend it around him. And the other thing about Gundogan that I really appreciate is that he's such a good passer, that it almost seems as though his striking is an extension of his passing, right? Every finish is a pass into the bottom right corner, right? Or, or you know, like he picks out a corner as if you were picking out a pass, right? There's not, it's, there's not very many that are hit with venom. And he's actually added a few more goals to his game than we've seen during his time at City. And he's had an extended run in the team. You mentioned kind of pragmatic Guardiola earlier. I think Gundogan is an extension of that because he's wanted to play him with Rodrigo as opposed to having both Phil Foden and Kevin De Bruyne in front of Rodrigo and basically leaving that job exclusively on Rodrigo. Gundogan is kind of that balance in between of can do a bit more defensive work and kind of plays a traditional central midfield role and also join the attack and contribute goals as he did today. Yeah, I really like him as a player. He's a guy we might be able to get on the podcast at some Mm. point. I met his brother uh, a while back who works as his agent. Um, So I'll, I'll get to work on that and let's talk Chelsea a little bit because a couple weeks ago we talked about sort of diagnosing the issues with Arsenal and since then it's almost as if they've traded places they they played each other Arsenal wins that game Arsenal suddenly winning games again and Chelsea's just in a really rough patch right now especially in the league here Um, you watch a lot of Chelsea games what are you seeing I'm seeing a shortage of chance creation at the moment, I would say is is the number one thing. If they were creating a ton of chances and missing them, I wouldn't feel like they were in a difficult position. But even at times when they've gotten good results, I have not felt like, well, this is a free-flowing attack that is playing well. Even at times when they put up lopsided score, I think they beat Crystal Palace 4-0. And if you watch the goals, it was like a mistake by Palace defender, a terrible penalty, a, a couple of corners, and, and, and that's how they won by this huge scoreline. So I have not really felt... The, the one time that I thought they played brilliantly is I thought that Frank Lampard completely undressed Marcelo Bielsa when they played Leeds. Right. But other than that, I just don't feel like they week in, week out have a mechanism to create chances, which is weird because of the attacking talent that they've had. Now, I've been really interested in seeing Timo Werner as a center forward. They tried it today. It didn't work, it would appear. But I don't know if that's Timo Werner's fault or if that's the things around him. They're without Reese James. They, they get a lot of joy from their fullbacks. So that, that that certainly plays a role. But just generally, all season long, I don't feel like from an attacking point of view, they've done anything other than overwhelm their opposition with the amount of talent that they have. Christian Pulisic, Hakim Ziyech, Abraham, Giroud, the fullbacks getting forward, right? I mean, in theory, Kai Havertz has not hit the ground running whatsoever, but um, I think probably the biggest issue right now is their ability to create chances and that their two biggest signings, Werner and Havertz, are not playing well and don't appear to have adjusted very well to the Premier League. How much, and I can't, we're not doctors here, but Havertz had COVID. Yeah. They've talked a little bit about that being an issue for him. How concerned should we be that he's just not what we expected? Yeah, again, that's something that only the coaches and medical teams can really bring up to the media, right? And Lampard has actually done a pretty good job of saying that he's wanted to cover for both Werner and Havertz. He said, Werner's going to get in the goals, I've got no doubt. He said, you know, I know the player that Kai Havertz is going to be. So he's covered for them. I just don't, it's hard when you're watching a player, right? And especially in the no excuses culture of sports, to be like, well, this is a medical issue, the reason why he's not playing well, instead of the fact that you're just watching him not play well. But it can absolutely be a reason why Kai Havertz is not playing well, because we've seen other athletes struggle, you know, not be able to play because of myocarditis. You've seen, you know, athletes say, you know, I can't run upstairs, even though I was in peak physical condition before I got COVID. So it would not be out of the realm of possibilities that that is the reason why. It's just that 
the, the, the counterfactual is that prior to him getting COVID, it's not like he was lighting the world on fire either. This seems to be a bigger problem than just this, but I'm not ruling that out. Yeah, there was a report that came out on The Athletic, re- weirdly right after the final whistle, saying that uh, Lampard could be in trouble, that Chelsea, they're reporting, is looking at potential replacements. I guess we'll see where that goes. I mean, this is uh, a team and an owner that has not been hesitant to change managers over the years. You know, I look at at what Chelsea has accomplished under Lampard, and there is potential there. They they spent a lot of money. They've given them good players. They've advanced in Champions League. They're certainly not out of it in the Premier League, and certainly not out of the top, far from the top four. So I do think that Lampard has an element of the British media that tends to, what's the best way for me to put this, to back him up <laughs> over there in what he's doing. And I think that he may have that in his favor. I would be frankly surprised if he left in the in the very near future. Um, I, think, I think more losses would have to happen basically, but... Uh, we will see. That was uh, a report that came out just right after the game was over uh, today on Sunday. So another interesting story to follow. Um, this was a game, Man City-Chelsea, where you had two Americans starting. Zach Steffen making his Premier League debut for City. Uh, ends up getting the win after a little early bobble with the, the back pass pickup. <laughs> in the end, not a huge issue. Um, ended up losing his clean sheet late in the game. Um, 3-1, I think I said 3-0 earlier, Um, and didn't really have a ton of work to do, too many saves to make in this game. Christian Pulisic uh, started for Chelsea, uh, had some moments in the first half, not as much in the second half. Uh, But I actually spent my day-to-day watching games from Germany and England where you had each team with an American starter uh, that was after watching Gio Reyna against John Brooks in Dortmund Wolfsburg uh, before that game. And it's interesting to see how many American national team players, how many U.S. national team players actually started over the weekend. I've got Pulisic, Reyna, Weston McKenney for Juventus, Serginho Dest for Barcelona, Tyler Adams for Leipzig, Zach Steffen, John Brooks, Josh Sargent. That's eight players there, not just getting playing time, but starting and at least making it seem like, you know, we'll see about how much time Stefan gets as a starter, but all those other guys seem like they're really starter starters now. And making positive impressions, especially again, when I, I, I keep going back to this Brian Reynolds thing where he, I mean, he's been at FC Dallas as their starter for like half a season and Juventus and Roma are in for him. And it kind of makes me wonder are these clubs now starting to recognize, hey, there's value here in American players. Like, let's go and find some young Americans in MLS and kind of similar to how in Argentina, the second uh, 19-year-old scores a goal. It's, all right, let's pay $15 million for him. Like, is... Is there going to be all of a sudden a run on American players? Because in the post-COVID world, you've got to find value somewhere. And if you're going to, you know, pay for, you know, someone who's proven themselves at a level similar to, you know, Weston McKinney at Schalke, if, you know, for another club, it's you know, another, you know, you can add two times the price. So I, I do kind of wonder if all of a sudden this value is going to be found. I'm really, for me, the one that's most sticking out uh, is, is McKinney because he's a regular starter now at Juventus. And I yeah. like, and and I don't think you know Sergio Dest is one thing because they've got injuries at Barcelona, so I don't know if in year one the plan is for Sergio Dest to play this much. But I do know that at Juve, maybe at the start of the season, McKenny, a player on loan with an option to buy from Schalke, was part of their plans to play somewhat. But all of a sudden, he's become a regular starter for them, and he seems to be contributing in, in games in which they're winning and playing well. There's kind of been an upturn in form. I'm not saying it's because of McKenny, but. Since he started playing, Juve have been playing better. Yeah, I think he has a role in, in Juve playing better. And he's he's become a pencil-in-his-name guy for Juventus. And I don't know if I predicted that at the beginning of the season. How glad is Weston McKenney to be out of Schalke, by the way? 30 straight games without a win. Oh my God! They're doomed. Did you see that? Uh, there was a great video that Archie Rintut, the uh, Bundesliga reporter who works for their World Feed and occasionally for ESPN, was um, doing a thing about 
how there's, I guess, this club in Germany that likes the fact that they have this record. So they were rooting for the team that was playing Schalke. And like some of their, like 10 of their fans showed up because it's in Berlin and they were playing Hertha and they were rooting for Schalke to win because like, no, this record's our thing. Don't take this from us. Like the longest, um, it was like some record from the 60s. It was Find it on Twitter. Archie Rintati did, did this really cool video from the stadium. That's kind of messed up, but I like it. Um, <laughs> I will say this about Christian Pulisic. He's, he's starting for Chelsea. I like to see him get a nice run of, of playing well, scoring goals, creating goals, because that's one thing he really hasn't done yet this season. No, and I think he's not even really getting that many clear-cut opportunities either. Again, part of a bigger issue. I would feel worse about it if there were other players who were succeeding at Chelsea and playing great. Um, I didn't think when Chelsea were really struggling to get today, and one of the things that you know you would be concerned about if you're a Chelsea supporter is just the complete lack of a response from 2-0, from 3-0. It really looked like the game had a chance to get away from them, and Pulisic, it seemed like João Cancelo just kept over and over again taking the ball off him. And, and that for me is a concern is, all right, even when you're struggling, can you create a moment of magic, create an opportunity? And that was the one thing that I was hoping Pulisic would provide that he just didn't. And I guess right now the thing you're taking solace from is that even though he's playing a ton during this festive period, he's not showing signs of getting injured again. But at the same time, he's been okay. But, but as you say, you want to see goal contributions, goals and assists from him. And there just haven't been that many at the season. A couple more quick things to discuss before we get to our interview with Soccer Girl Problems. Super Classico, Boca 2, River 2, down in Argentina. And I got in trouble on Twitter with, like, I'm a Boca fan. That's, like, the one team I'm actually kind of publicly a fan of. <laughs> and I was just upset briefly on Twitter that Boca had given up a 1-0 lead and gone down 2-1 late in this game. And I tweet something, basically F me, and all of these people on Twitter who I guess aren't watching the Boca River game think that I'm I'm like something horrible has gone wrong with the nation because of, of what my <laughs> wife does. And I have to like, is, is that where we are now? Do, right, I, you can, I, you, do I have to worry you, about that? Uh, you should just hashtag everything just to be in, like, just hashtag super classico. There are times where I watch so many random games of soccer that I actually want to do like the generic hashtag because it alerts people to like to actually what I'm tweeting about. But yeah, I, you know, again, it, you know, it, we, we want everyone to watch it on Fanatis, but, uh, you know, not everyone was tuned in. So maybe they were just confused as to what it was about. All I know is I, I have a couple of Argentinian friends in my group chat and they're talking about, oh, there's a red card just happened and a goal and all this. Thing. All right, I'm, I'm getting on Fanatis. I'm going to watch it. So uh, straight, straight away, I tuned in and watched the last 10 minutes. It was a really good game, just from a fun game perspective. It ends up 2-2. Uh, great pass from Carlos Tevez on the, the Boca late that equalizer. Was ridiculous. He didn't even see it. He didn't see yeah. the through ball. He's like, I think that person's making the run in the direction. I'm going to play it there. Like, you would have thought, I mean, honestly, it was like a messy-like pass. Yeah. You know, a game ends 10 on 10. Uh, and it could be a sort of precursor, potentially, for a wild month in South American soccer because you've got both Boca and River in separate semifinals in Copa Libertadores. First leg starting this week, Tuesday and Wednesday on Fanatis. Uh, and I, we could see another Boca-River uh, Copa Libertadores final in Rio de Janeiro. It's a one-off now. Um you also could see it all Brazilian Santos Palmeiras final, but I'm hoping for Boca River. Um, but like, you know, there's no MLS going on this month. There's not as much soccer in this part of the world. So I would suggest to, to listeners, if you haven't watched Boca and River and Libertadores, give it a shot. It, it's a lot of fun and the games can get pretty chaotic, but um, in a good way. And hey, Grant, where can they watch these games if they so choose to? That's the thing is I'm actually selling a product. Our sponsor is Fanatis. You heard the ad earlier or later here, whenever you hear it. Um, and I think this is going to be the ad. I'm not going to. I'm not going to do another ad. I think this is just the ad. Tell people I, about Fanatis. <laughs> but like, I will say this. And this is why it's nice to actually advertise products that you like. Is it is a, a very cool thing to be able to have access to watching this stuff because you know. I fell in love with Argentine soccer in the 90s and never would have thought then that it would be possible in the United States to watch Boca River in my home. Uh, and now you can do that. Fanatis has Copa Libertadores as well. Basically, being sports has become very difficult to get 
if on certain cable platforms, this is your way of getting be in sports pretty cheaply uh, too. Seven dollars a month. I mean, that's yeah, pretty ideal. A month. Yeah, seven ninety nine uh, a month is, is is a really good price point. Like, I'm I'm happy to subscribe to that. And as you say, like you know, watching these games felt like kind of so distant. Wait, where where do I have to find this? And and I like basically every game is on a legal legal streaming service that it's it's much less hassle than it used to be and so it, it makes it completely worth it i will say though you tweeted something that was uh you know i think very correct in a weekend that had you know a, a big derby in spain a big derby in scotland the old firm with celtic and rangers and obviously the super classical Boken river it was a great it, like those are games for me that are made by the fans right but yeah. Boken river i would have been tuned in from the opening minute if there were fans in the stadium i tuned in because the game became chaos you know the same thing with celtic Rangers, right? You know, Rangers, a chance to win the Scottish Premiership, stop, uh, stop Celtic from getting their 10th straight. You know, like, th that's a game you tune into eventually. But if, if, if for the fans, I would have been there from the opening whistle. Well, and all, I mean, there's some really cool rivalry games that are even better, obviously, when the stands are full uh, outside of the, the so-called so big European league. So mm -hmm. midweek, we've got Flamengo Fluminense, mm -hmm. uh, also in Fanatis, by the way. Um, and... That's one of the great rivalries in world soccer that mm -hmm. I've always had a kind of a bucket list of like the big rivalry games that I want to attend. And yeah. I, I've, I've been to Boca River. I've been to Celtic Rangers, but Flamengo Fluminense is. Uh, Have you been to uh, what in Turkey? Is it Galatasaray and Besiktas? Is that the big one? There's uh, there's yes, there's those two. Isn't there a third one? I'm sorry, it's Galatasaray and, and Fenerbahce is the big Fenerbahce, one. Fenerbahce, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so like, I, Spencer Hall of SB Nation, then of SB Nation, wrote this great piece about the Istanbul Derby in 2014. And I still remember it as, like, I get chills from reading something, which is weird to think of it that way. But, like, just kind of the descriptions and, like, the rivalry that you feel in that one. Like, that, like the, there's some really good, as you say, there's some great ones all over the world where you have to make it to them. I always thought it would be fun to do a coffee table book on the world's great rivalries. You know, mm. just team up with a great photographer and, and, and tell some stories and heck may, may have to do that still someday um <laughs> now looking ahead it's a new year it's 2021 and i, I want to ask you a basic question if you had to pick one thing in soccer that you're most excited about when you look at the year ahead what is it i think it's probably the euros well actually you know what i'm sorry i'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna change my answer i think in some ways i kind of like not dread the Euros, but kind of dread like what it's going to take to get there and if it even goes ahead. But I think honestly, from our perspective, it has to be the sheer volume of huge games that the United States of America are going to play, right? Seeing this team that's developing in, you know, CONCACAF Nations League in whatever form that takes, you know, if they ever get Olympic qualifying done and presumably go to the Olympics at some point, um, we know that in, in next, next season, the international breaks are going to be jam-packed with, you know, three qualifiers in a window, you have a gold cup in the summer. I would just say a return to American soccer that matters. It's been since they lost to Trinidad and Tobago that it's felt like the United States has played soccer games that matter. So I think it's the, for me the return and the sheer volume and the increased enthusiasm that you have in the American team that you're probably most excited about. Yeah, for me, just to specify it, you know, would be World Cup qualifying. So mm -hmm. it was interesting. I have this calendar that's I make publicly available, but like it's got all of the things on my radar, not just games for this next couple of weeks, but you know, all the World Cup qualifiers for the US, which we know when they're gonna be and, and who they're gonna be against, with a couple of exceptions. And it's just gonna be so intense when you look at 14 World Cup qualifiers, but instead of having two qualifiers per window, it's gonna be three, most of these windows. And that's going to involve a lot of travel when you think about it. So mm -hmm. I, I, I am expecting, and maybe we'll get Greg Berhalter on here at some point to s see if he can answer some of this stuff. I would expect to see a lot of these U.S. qualifiers like in Florida and the Southeast, especially when you have to go to the Caribbean for, for games or Mexico or wherever else in the region. You know, maybe some exceptions if Canada ends up in the final eight, which I kind of expect they will. Um, but it's just going to be so intense. And while these young U.S. players, I'm so excited to see play for the U.S. in games that really matter, like they have had some injury issues, some of these young guys. And this is going to be a huge challenge just to stay healthy with all of this traveling that's going on. And yes, I am a little bummed out that not bummed out is not the right word, 
kind of think it's a little ridiculous that the the various governing bodies haven't taken the players into account when it comes to the the sheer amount of games. Like nobody's like making a sacrifice and saying, you know what, we're Concacaf. Maybe we don't need that Nations League semifinals in June. Um, but no, we're going to go ahead and, and do that, and then we're going to make guys play three games every window except for one. It's, right. it's a I mean, lot every, to ask every, for. Everyone's sold product, and they've got to deliver it. It's essentially what's happening, right? And that just feels right. so so calculated and cold, right? It just leaves no consideration for, well, is this really in everyone's best interest? No, we've sold product, and we've got to deliver it. Right. Um, that said, I'm excited to to watch the games, and fingers crossed, virus-wise, I'm excited to be on site to cover them, you know? Like, with maybe fans in the stands to some extent. Like, what a concept. Yeah, you don't want like safety regulations not to be followed, but hopefully we're in a, in a semi-decent place. You know, the, these qualifiers start in September, so we'll see. Yeah, I mean, the, the fans and kind of the atmospheres across CONCACAF are what make it so special and different. And again, you're talking about the travel and all that. That's part of what makes qualifying from this region so unique. People say, well, you should beat Honduras and Panama like it's nothing, but it's not nothing. Like, it's hard, right? There's a reason why, you know, even, you know, Teams that have done well at the World Cup, including in 2002, when they get to when the U.S. gets to the quarterfinal, Mexico always has a good showing in the group stage. Why they sometimes go away from home and struggle in Concacaf? It's not easy. You got me excited for 2021. So thank you for doing that, Chris. Always good to have you on. Happy New Year. Same to you, sir. Now here's my interview with Soccer Girl Problems. Our guests today are some absolute stars in the U.S. soccer landscape. Soccer Girl Probs started in 2011 with three teammates from Fairfield University's D1 soccer team, Carly Beyer, Alana Locast, and Shannon Fay. It became a lifestyle brand and digital media enterprise that's essentially a movement now in the women's soccer community. With 180,000 followers on Twitter, 345,000 followers on Instagram, and 151,000 subscribers on YouTube, They also have a terrific Soccer Girl Probs podcast you should check out with recent interviews of Sarah Fuller, Mia Hamm, Julie Foudy, Kelly O'Hara, and Sam and Christy Mewis, among others. Carly, Alana, and Shannon, congratulations on everything you're doing. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for hyping us up. (laughs) (laughs) I'm pretty good at the hype thing, but like you guys, you guys deserve it. It's really impressive to see what you've started and created and built over a 10-year period now. And I guess I just want to start at the start. What's the origin story of Soccer Girl Probs? Our story is completely unconventional and such a blessing to us because it all happened in soccer while we were at Fairfield University 10 years ago. Um, We were just having fun during preseason, dealing with our bone bruises. Having fun. (laughs) Having fun. crying in the bathroom Um, (laughs) but dealing with bone bruises ice packs on our legs we were exhausted and uh we were with our team and we were like you know twitter is just coming out like why don't we make a funny twitter account where we can all you know tweet funny problems we're having we kept Um, saying hashtag soccer props because hashtags were just getting big then that was like the first one we like came up with yeah and so when we did that it kind of spread like wildfire in the soccer community i mean you know, our team, team teammates told others and it kind of just grew like crazy. And over a couple of weeks, we ended up having, you know, hundreds of followers who were saying, you guys should, you know, make a video. So at the time, Alana grabbed her mom's like iPad or something. And we um, started filming funny things that soccer girls say. And we ended up, ended up putting out the video shit soccer girls say on YouTube. And overnight we hit a million hits on this video. So picture us, like we're just players <laughs> at Fairfield university. We, we, you know, we wake up one morning and we have like a million phone calls from parents, literally everyone and their parents saying that they saw us on the internet making this <laughs> funny video. So um, it, again, it just kept growing and we started to get, people reaching out and saying, you know, you guys should make apparel, you should make a t-shirt. So we ended up picking like three of our top tweets at the time. And we put them on these bright neon t-shirts with like, it was just blank text. And neon was cool back then. (laughs) Yeah, it's still cool. 
it was very very bright like bright pink <laughs> yellow green and we ended up selling um we sold out of all of our stuff in like four hours and alana can take over here because she was the one who made the website and all that stuff at the time yeah I, I, i'm a little bit older than them by two years so i graduated first so i was no longer an ncaa athlete so you know we incorporated it as a business and i think the the shirts selling out so quickly just really opened our eyes that we people were relating to something and feeling understood and feeling heard and it wasn't on purpose obviously we started it by accident um but we realized that we had this community of people that were really just connected because they related to the same kind of stuff and could laugh at themselves you know and and kind of smile through the struggles that they were having so um from there we just really started to take it a lot more seriously and we realized we had you know a lot of younger followers um and we wanted to create kind of just a positive space where the female athlete could feel supported and heard and understood and like they were part of something bigger. So we've been really very blessed that we get to kind of stay connected to soccer through this and pretend like we're still <laughs> collegiate athletes. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you go about making this an actual business? It was a lot. We So we also always laugh at the fact that none of us were business majors or took any business classes ever, let alone in college. Um, so it was quite a fake it till you make it kind of scenario. And we we kind mm-hmm. of always roll with that theme. Like, if we don't know how to do it, we're going to figure it out and learn it. And yeah. we're going to let you know that we do know how to do it. We're just figuring it out. Yeah. Um, and also, too, it was really good timing when uh, Alana had already graduated, but Shannon and I were seniors. And uh, no, our sophomores. Our, sophomores. No, no, no. We were seniors when our, the university wanted to do a piece on us. And they were like, mm-hmm. okay, they brought these cameramen over. They were doing all the stuff, all the story on us. And the camera guy l- looked at us and he was like, did you guys know there's an entrepreneurship program coming out next year? Like you guys should totally apply to it and see if it can help you guys with your business. And at the time we were like, oh my gosh, this is heaven sent because we really don't know. We have this incredible following, but we don't know anything about taxes or like finances or how to run an inventory system, you know, the, the correct and most efficient way. So we applied for this program and ended up um, doing the entrepreneurship program through the university. And we ended up, we lived in the same house. So we were learning about how to run the business while running the business out of our garage and we spent a whole year like just having so much fun and learning the whole process of how how to truly monetize our audience and make it something more sustainable like we didn't want to just be a viral account like we we knew it had so much more meaning than that and we wanted to be like role models or a space where women young women can come together and they could just relate to each other and laugh at each other and feel positive and confident in themselves so it was just a wild ride from where we started just as a joke and just being ourselves and then like it kind of grew into something so much more than that i mean one of the challenges i've noticed sort of over the years in soccer in america is sustainability like there, like at least in my corner of the journalism world like there were a few quite a few people who were like i called them labor of love types but like some of them would literally pay out of their own pocket to you know, go cover a game somewhere. And that's not totally sustainable. Like, and so it seems like there's a real challenge in soccer in America. Like, how do you get sustainable? And obviously we're speaking at the end of 2020, which has been a crazy, weird year where businesses everywhere have faced insane challenges. But you found sustainability. Like, like what all has gone into, into that? I think part of it was just staying our true authentic selves. I feel like a lot of times when people are starting to um, start their own company or, or their own, you know, endeavor in the soccer world, they try and replicate what other people are doing. And I think one of the things we did was we were always going to keep our authentic voice, always going to be ourselves. When we go interview players, we're just, we're a bit fans of theirs and we act like it. Um, which is embarrassing at times, <laughs> but um, I think that's what our fans and our followers appreciate is we're kind of that middleman and we're, we're bridging that gap between the girl who plays in middle school, um, the girls who play in club in high school, the girls who are in college, and then the professional athlete and finding what we all have in common, which is all of the many soccer props. You know, it's, 
interesting to me, like in the last year, The Athletic is a publication that has invested in covering women's soccer. Like they have a friend of mine, Meg Linehan, who does an amazing job. She's um, awesome. Covering the sport on a full-time basis. And what they found is that there are more people than they expected who are willing to be paying subscribers for good regular women's soccer coverage. And I guess my question for you is just in the in the women's soccer space that you see out there right now, should we, should we have been that surprised that there would be a, a a paying market interest in their coverage or that there is something about this this group, this community that is willing to to pay for stuff that really interests them? Well, you know, it's so funny, too, and we always reflect on it, but we, like, through our childhood, grew up with the league folding twice. Right. You know, so, and it was, like, just the norm. I just remember thinking that that was a normal thing that happened. Like, oh, we create a league, and all, and then it folds, and then all these teams are going to come out and reemerge again. And I, I, it was almost surprising to me, and it shouldn't have been, but it was surprising to me, the like, the permanence that the NWSL has. You know, like, I... Mm-hmm. feel this sense of permanence in them and like they've established themselves enough for now I'm like this is how it always should have been you know so it's pleasantly surprising you know that the, this space has been created and that these women are you know they they just it's important what they're doing and and their personalities and the things they have to say are important and social media allows us to to learn so much more about them you know and, and absorb so much more information and get to know them better and become more invested in the team so I, I love that you know Nowadays, the league is something that, and as a kid, I just I didn't think it could ever be. So it's it's for me, it's personally, it's just been really really great to see because now young girls have a league that they can have a favorite. Like I love the Washington Freedom, and then all of a sudden, it just didn't exist anymore. <laughs> you know, yeah, so it's right. it's cool for a, a kid to you know love the Washington Spirit now and be able to love them growing up all throughout, you know, their their playing career, which is really cool. I think another cool thing is all going off of that, Alana, when we see like little like boys wearing the jerseys. Like we have kids who are posting like, Oh my gosh, that's so cool. And then they'll be like about meeting Mal Pugh or, you know, even when it was Abby Wambach, like you see these kids who are wearing their jerseys the past few world cups. And it's like, that's so nice to finally see like the males appreciate the women's game as much. Cause when they watch the the games, they're like, this is just as exciting as watching the men. If not, maybe more sometimes. Do you, do you guys remember when we were, we actually grant, we worked with man city, the women's side, and we were at their game and there were, there was this dad and a a son who was probably eight years old in front of us. And they were talking about all the female players on the team and you know, what they were doing, you know, who scored what all this stuff. And I couldn't believe it. I was like, this is, we need more of this. Like, this is amazing. Mm -hmm. And just that exposure to an interest from like young players and even the, the, the everyone's little boys, like, it's just so cool to see that the interest there. Um, yeah, I can't, I just had to add that little story and I couldn't believe it when I saw that. So if I was to ask you guys, what in your opinion are a couple of the biggest moments in, is it okay if I call it SGP, SGP's history? Honestly, when we went viral was pretty insane. But when we were hired to go cover the 2015 World Cup in Canada with Kick TV, that was like a pivotal moment in our career, I would say. Right, Shannon, Alana? Yeah, and I think going off of that, um, when we were there, it was the first time that we met Brandy Chastain and we became fast friends with her. So I think having Brandy text us, asking us to go play like soccer tennis with her outside of where Fox was producing the, their content was pretty amazing. And then having Mia Hamm show up to our pickup game the day of the finals. Like she showed up to this crappy field in a taxi by herself and was just like, what's up guys? Nice to meet you. Like big fan. And we were all like shaking like, like, what? (laughs) Mia Hamm? Um, So just playing with these legends who we grew up being so inspired by and just our heroes and then having them be like, oh, we love what you're doing. It was just like, wow, this is... So it was such a cool moment for us. That whole World Cup was so cool, but those two moments. It came so weirdly full circle that like we were like sitting down watching the current heroes with our childhood heroes. It was like a very surreal moment, but it it just felt like you could feel the growth of women's soccer 
in the U.S. in general. And then I feel like even people who were, you know, soccer players who were following our account also just became so much more invested in watching and not mm-hmm. just playing. Um, so that felt, it just, it felt like a shift for us, you know, in the company and just in terms of opportunity and, and now getting to tell the story of these women that people cared about hearing their story, which was, which was awesome. So. And that was like our first time really traveling and being able to tweet out, oh, we're having a, a pickup game, a game before the game, which was what our series was and meeting mm-hmm. hundreds of our fans at each of these pickup games. That was like, it was incredible. I just wish we could go back to that World Cup. Yeah, I would. <laughs> it was a good one. It felt like the U.S. fans basically took over Vancouver and Winnipeg and, and those Montreal. different cities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of good memories. Can't believe that six years ago. Um, wow. Ew. But, um obviously you get very good guests for your podcast including some of the people we talked about before uh like mia ham like kelly o'hara uh the muis sisters um i should be asking for you for advice because i haven't gotten this all these good guests on on my show but like (laughs) um like have you built a relationship at this point where you can you can make that request and and get the yes, and then it just kind of happens. You know what's funny? I just feel like because our account is so relatable, and you know we have professionals on the U.S. national team following us and say and literally tagging us or comments and commenting saying that they can relate to what we're talking about. I think that just makes us more you know approachable. And I think when we reach out to them on Instagram, say we're like, we just really want to talk to you and learn more about you and have you on the podcast. And I think maybe they see us as teammates and not necessarily like a really strict interview that they're going to have. So maybe it's just like a comfort thing. Um, but I I don't know. I, I, I have to say, I'm just, I feel so blessed that social media came about because we are able to connect with these players and they do know who we are because of it. So it's really just, it's very surreal. I'll tell you. In terms of like the podcast so far, you've had a ton of great guests. Like what are some of the, the cooler moments from your perspective? I think interviewing Sammy and Christy and getting the Mua sisters and having that, like just the story of them growing up together and playing as sisters. Um, Carly is good friends with both of them. So we've, we've seen them, you know, as their careers have gone about and, It was especially cool seeing Christy again, like recently on the team, just like a few weeks after we interviewed and seeing them play together. I feel like that was a really cool moment for us. Um, I feel, and Jess McDonald, it was awesome to hear Mm -hmm. about a mom playing and the struggles that she had Mm -hmm. in the NDSL, having to bring her son with her to practice in camps because she couldn't afford to pay a babysitter um, and how she wants that to change in the NDSL. Um, But I just feel like we learned so much about these players that even when we've met them a few times here or there like learning more about their stories and and their struggles and their you know achievements it's been really fun I was gonna say uh, one of the most refreshing things for me and it and it almost sounds negative but we make it a point to every time we're talking with one of these players to talk about their failures like moments when they've had something to overcome or moments when you know they got cut from a team or got benched or, or things like that. And it just humanizes them so much. Like, I mean, from, even just from like hearing players vent about a coach wanting to take them out of the, the position they feel comfortable in and put them somewhere else on the field. Like that's such a, that's so relatable. And you forget that these girls don't just have this easy straight line path to success and that they've had these stories where they've all had something that you're like, wow, I experienced that too. It makes it not so different anymore. And it makes the I guess for younger players listening, the attainability of reaching that level seems that much more real when you realize that these players have failed along the way. So I've, it sounds so negative, but I have enjoyed hearing about their failures and struggles. As the, that sounds so terrible, <laughs> but you know, no, but it, but <laughs> it makes so, sense. It's so true because you know all these young players look up to the professional athletes, and all they see is all the good stuff. You know, like they don't yeah. hear about when they got cut from the national team the first time. Or like how they started playing soccer in the 10th grade of high school and still managed to go pro. Like everyone has a different um, path. And like you said, like it's never, I don't know, you hear about all kind of all the no's that they were told and it led them in different directions. But how they somehow overcame those challenges is what's really 
important to us because, you know, we have soccer girl problems. Like how can we overcome these problems? And that's what we like to promote, you know, having that confidence to get over the little, you know, bumps along the way. No, that makes sense. I, I want to ask you about 2020 because this has been such a, a difficult year and it's soccer is a game that you play with other people in the same physical space. And I, I know you guys still play. I mean, how have you dealt with wanting to play during the pandemic? How have you sort of connected with what players out there are feeling during this whole 2020 year when it's been difficult like this? We've noticed from a lot of our followers that everyone is struggling, you know, and everyone's kind of in the same crappy boat that is 2020. Yeah. Um, but I feel like our motto of 2020 has been do what you can. And like, if doing what you can means going in your driveway in a six by six space and doing juggling or cone drills and, and getting better at the thing you never, you know, put the time aside to pay attention to, then that is what this time is for. And I think... Uh, it's been a great reminder to all of us just how much we can do with not a lot, you know, and, and girls are, are getting more comfortable, you know, working alone and being unmotivated, but still getting the work done anyway. And I think it's been as hard as it's been, it's been a great opportunity for personal growth for, for everyone. I hope they've all, you know, realized and taken advantage of that. And, and like, uh, oh, sorry. I was, I was just going to say, gonna say <laughs> <laughs> I can't see you. I can't see you. you can't see me. I feel like a big part of 2020 for us was growing, helping girls grow on the mental side of the game because we've been so focused on the physical for so long. And a big part of what we hear from our followers and our fans is how much anxiety they have around soccer. Um, so we actually came out with a, a course on conquering anxiety, um, which I'm still working on myself, <laughs> but I think it's so important. And I think that if we've learned anything this year is that there's so much that we can do on that side of things, whether it's meditating or talking to a therapist or just educating ourselves on what we can do. Um, I feel like that's been a big, a big positive from it at least. So mm -hmm. part of it. I'll tell listeners right now that unfortunately Carly is the one of the four of us who can't see <laughs> the rest of us because her zoom's not working totally right, but we can all see her, which is kind of random, but she's doing great. I it's just want everyone to know awkward. that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, looking ahead now to, to 2021, I mean, things aren't going to change like the flip of a switch on January 1st, obviously, but I do think it feels like there's quite a bit to be more optimistic about for 2021, whether it's just like the virus in general, society, mm -hmm. hopefully getting back, more back to normal. And then the soccer world. And and I'm wondering, what do you, what are you guys looking forward to most in 2021? Whether it's actual the actual games being played or just hopefully life getting back to semi-normal. I I feel like I uh I didn't I took advantage of having games to watch like regularly available. I got very spoiled with that. And then I realized just how grateful I was for that when like the NWSL did that challenge cup. And for like a month, we got mm -hmm. a big chunk of awesome games. So I'm, I'm really excited for that to start up again, because I think with that starting up again also means that on the club level, you know, in school, there's going to be some startup of playing for, for these girls. And I hope I feel like 2021 is going to be a year for people to kind of show what they've been working on, you know, and, and, yes. you know, get to, to put to use all the stuff that they've, mm -hmm. you know, been working on, on their, on their own, which is just really exciting. You know, when you think about it, I, I was just going to say, I, I'm very curious to see how players as a whole do more individually. Like, are they more technical after a year like this? Or, you know, you can really tell, or, or are they even fitter? Like, I feel like those are the things that you could actually work on while we're mm -hmm. at home. Um, but what I am really personally looking forward to is further supporting the female soccer community in any way that we can in 2021. And if that means evolving and doing more online stuff where we provide more education support, you know, like we're certified in fitness and nutrition. Like how can we all, how can we do our part to help them feel more confident on the field, um, whether or not they're with their team. So 
we have a whole like university section of our website where we do online programs to help the players because it's all stuff we wish that we had that extra support for when we were younger right guys Mm -hmm. i didn't know anything about nutrition as a player (laughs) eat a piece of toast big macs before (laughs) games yeah (laughs) it's always fascinating to me how like some of the biggest players in the game like professionally had at least at one point early on, like terrible nutrition mm-hmm. and like Lionel Messi, it's- like drink Coke all the time and yeah. you know, soda pop and all that stuff. But it is crazy. Um, I mean, the Olympics, we hope fingers crossed are going to happen in 2021. Uh, you guys are you know, close watchers of the U S women's national team. How do you feel about 2021 and the Olympics with them? And, and I guess, what are you most interested in seeing what happens? Well, I think just like what we were talking about before about what we're thinking we'll see in 2021 based off of what happened in 2020, like even when we talked to Tina Davidson, like her being a defender and having to play alone is a lot different than, an, an you know, a forward playing by themselves because mm-hmm. she's not going to go out there and shoot on goal all, all day. She needs something else to do. So she was actually telling mm-hmm. us like she was out there practicing with her parents, like having them <laughs> just be on the field. So I'm curious what the team will be like by position. Like that's gotta be a struggle for goalies and defenders who have to be by themselves. Um, so I'm, I don't know. I just, I feel like it's going to be really interesting once they come back full time. You know, and from podcasting with a lot of the younger players this past year, I've like, I personally feel a lot more invested in mm-hmm. seeing those players develop and how they're going to do. And you know, if they're going to get playing time and, and that kind of stuff. So I'm actually just, I feel like I know a little bit more about this new squad than I would have. So it's it kind of makes it fun to see, you know, how it's going to play out with the new coach and everything. So what are some things in the future, whether it's 2021 or even beyond, like new stuff that you want to do as a group? Well, we were supposed to have camps last year. Unfortunately, we weren't able to. But I think that's something that we want to continue to do is to meet our fans in per- person more. Um, I think next summer we're supposed to, right guys? Yeah, we're supposed to have five camps and it's just another way that we can help support young female athletes. Like these camps are overnight camps and, you know, how can we bring in other professionals to come do, you know, seminars or panels or anything where we're helping build, you know, the holistic player and support them the way that we want it to be supported as athletes, because we know there's a ton of soccer girl problems out there, but we want to lessen the amount of soccer girl problems they are having, um, especially at the age, right. You know, before college soccer and if they want to play college soccer, but keeping women involved in sport and soccer is super important to us. And we're going to find every way that we can to, to get people to keep playing yeah, I'm curious <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm curious like there's this big community that you guys have resonated so much with in the American soccer community what kind of response have you gotten from countries outside the US is there is there much you know and is there a, a, someone like you guys in other countries or, or what's that like well how many countries have watched our YouTube videos? I think it's like 150 something, mm-hmm. right? But we have a lot of Australian fans. We have a lot of huh. fans in England Canada. who get mad that we call it soccer. We have a lot of Canadian <laughs> fans, um, which is pretty cool. We had we started an ambassador program last year and we have ambassadors who are in different parts of the world too. Um, so it is interesting to see what they're going through at this time and just in general playing women's soccer in different countries. You know, it's funny though. I feel like no matter what language you speak, soccer girls all speak the same language. Yeah. <laughs> That's you true. Know? Like, I think that I, th- I don't know if there are other, are other accounts like us, not that I've come across personally, but I think that like, we're just going to continue like we've done since the beginning, keep doing us like being authentic and just staying on course to what we find is extremely valuable. Like we're not here to just go viral on Instagram, like so much more than that. Um, and if people are finding us internationally, like that still means the world to us. I still get goosebumps thinking about somebody in England wearing our t-shirt. Like it really is amazing what we can do with this platform. And we're trying to do our best to keep it positive and supportive. Um, we talked earlier about uh, you like to ask podcast guests, you know, what were some of the difficult things they've had to deal with? 
So I'll, I'll turn that around on you guys. What would you say are some of the most challenging things you've had to, to work through to get where you are now? Ooh, where do we, do we have time? <laughs> <laughs> I literally was like, which aspect of running a business should I start with? <laughs> I, the beginning, to, in, my, in my opinion, and maybe it was different for you guys, was wildly overwhelming. Just so much of an unknown. You know, when we were fresh out of college, when you're supposed to be like applying to the workplace, and, you know, getting a salary and, and having a set job. And we kind of just took a risk to kind of run with something where we really did not have the knowledge base, you know, to start it with ease. So all of the learning in the beginning, in my opinion, was overwhelming and a, a very big hurdle to get over because, you know, you make mistakes along the way and, and those with a business become costly mistakes, you know, where they become, you know, missed opportunities or things like that. So just to have to overcome learning everything was a, a big hurdle to get over. And, and I finally feel like, and it took years, but I feel like now we're in the groove where like we have a solid foundation of, of what we're doing and, and the confidence in what we're doing, um, which has made it a lot, you know, less stressful, <laughs> still stressful, but less stressful. Has there, has there ever been what I call a behind this behind the music moment uh, when like I, I view you guys a little bit as this successful band? Did the band ever consider breaking up? <laughs> no, no, I don't Isn't think so. Funny? We I literally think we... lived in a home together. Like, <laughs> like it was insane. It would be we can it would be get a... through that. We'd yeah, I would, we would be like 11 o'clock at night and we'd be like screenshotting emails and sending it to each other. And we're all in separate rooms in the house trying to be functioning human beings. <laughs> We really dove in headfirst, which I we I don't think we ever hesitated on it, which is actually pretty amazing to me. And I, I, do, feel- I do think being teammates and, and being friends before was actually mm-hmm. very helpful. I do think starting a business with friends in general can be very difficult, but I think because we had been on a team for years together, it definitely helped show our strengths and our weaknesses. And each of us brings something so different to soccer or props. Um, and I think just even our personalities are very different. It, it all helps balance together because when we, even if we don't agree on something or we have different points of view, we're respectful and we can see each other's points as teammates. Um, so it's been good so far. The band hasn't broken up yet. No, hopefully it's another 10 more years. (laughs) We're going to be soccer grannies someday. (laughs) Granny props. (laughs) You know what I think pulls us through though, that we are so, passionate about just helping others like us. And I think that that it's like not about us. And I think that's what keeps us showing up to work. We're like, oh my gosh, how can we help? How can we help? And how can we relate to you guys even more? And just, it just, it comes so easily to us to just show up every day for work because we love what we're doing. it sounds cliche, but like, as long as we love soccer and, and helping female athletes, I don't think, you know, I don't think it's going to end anytime soon. So we're in, in it for the long run. As we wind down here, I just have a, a basic question. I guess this would be more in a non-pandemic world. How much do you guys still play? I was Not playing right now. <laughs> I was playing so much in the city and then we moved, like I moved. So in the pandemic, it's sad. We don't play nearly as much as we want to. Yeah, we were playing in this. Uh, the Barry League was really cool. I played in the um, in the league at a oh, was oh Chelsea Piers. That was where oh, yeah. I tore, tore my ACL. Oh. Um, so that was kind of embarrassing. <laughs> Post college men's league, but um, yeah, not not much right now during the, during the you know pandemic. But uh, just getting out there on the field alone is at least nice once in a while. Mm-hmm. But hopefully soon we can play again together. <laughs> Yeah, once we get to the other side, whenever that does happen, I, I assume you guys still play a fair amount, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. On a recreational we, level, yeah. yeah. We, we love- always joke that we should go try out for one of the NSL teams. <laughs> and and document it with like with like cameras on our head. Oh my gosh. It would be I think so we'd be fit enough, but I think our technical skills it would be bad. are not Grant, as strong. <laughs> Grant, do you wanna pick up that story? It sounds like a good story. <laughs> I like that well, story. I'll- We'll all go to a different team's tryout. Oh my yeah. God, could you imagine? 
How mortifying would that be? <laughs> I always thought it'd be a fun story to like do like the U.S. Men's National Team fitness regimen and see if I could survive. Because I'm, so, yeah. I, I like to think I'm pretty fit, but my guess is I would fail miserably. <laughs> so. Well, oh well, God. you used to play, right, Grant? I mean, I never played at a high level. I played for like the Sports Illustrated Chelsea Peers team. You know, mm. um, probably better. You, than you tore my ACL, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> well. Uh, really appreciate you guys coming on. Carly Byer, Alana Lowcast, and Shannon Faye are soccer girl probs. You can find them on every platform out there, basically. <laughs> uh, Instagram, YouTube, uh, Twitter, and their terrific podcast, which you should definitely check out. Guys, congratulations on everything you're doing. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank Thanks, you so Grant. much. Thank you, Grant. Thanks for listening to Football with Grant Wall. If you like the podcast, you could do me a huge favor and hit that subscribe button and provide a rating and a review. I can't tell you how much that helps. I'd like to thank Soccer Girl Problems as well as producer and pundit Chris Whittingham. You heard us talk about Fanatis. You can get a free seven-day trial at the link in the show description just in time for Copa Libertadores semifinals starting Tuesday. I'm back soon with another interview of someone from the soccer world. Be safe, everyone. Happy New Year.